Welcome back, or if this is your first time here, then thank you for joining us. This is the Doula's Guide to dot 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 with me, Meg, also known as the Dungaree Doula. It's a podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy, birth, and parenting. My aim is to share unbiased information alongside a bit of friendly chit chat to ensure that you head into parenthood feeling confident and excited for what's to come. If you missed the first couple of episodes and would like to know more about me, then go and check out episode one for a little introduction and a big chat on hypnobirthing, and the following episodes for some great birth prep. And if you love the podcast, then you can now leave me a little tip to say thank you via buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. This episode, we're going to talk about tearing. And I've chosen to dedicate an entire episode to this topic because it's something that I get questioned on constantly. People are always absolutely terrified of tearing. It takes up a lot of conversational time with my clients. And so I thought it would be handy to pop lots of info and the research that we have on tearing into this episode. So let's get into it. And I hope that you enjoy. The first thing I want to talk about is how normal it is to tear. Later on in the episode, I will discuss what we can do to try and prevent tearing because there is some research that suggests that certain things can help as we do prepare for birth um, and things that we can do while we're giving birth as well. But actually, I think what we all need to work on is this collective fear that we have of tearing. And I do get it. It's probably the most intimate part of our bodies and thinking about it tearing can seem really excruciating. Um, I know like even now when I think about it, it's not something nice to think about and I've been through it and it was fine, but it's just not a nice thought, is it? But it's actually incredibly common. It's really, really common to tear. So research suggests that up to nine in 10 first time parents having a vaginal birth will end up with some sort of tear. So if you're having your first baby, it is quite likely. Getting that out there right at the beginning of the episode, (laughs) because it is, it's incredibly likely that you're going to tear, but hopefully by the end of this episode, you will feel a lot better about that fact. So the um, the ACOG, the Royal College of Gynecology, states that for most women, these tears are minor and heal quickly. So I know that our brains immediately go to thoughts of like horrendous episiotomies or those horror stories that you've probably heard from people that are like, oh, my auntie tore from front to back during childbirth. But the majority of tears are not like this at all. The majority of tears are minor and they do heal really quickly. So there are four different classifications of tears that happen during childbirth and I'll take you through them now. So first degree tears are really small tears that only affect the skin and they usually heal really quickly. They don't require any treatment. So for a first degree tear, you don't even need stitches. And these are the most common types of tears. So when you're hearing up to nine out of 10 first time parents are likely to tear, this is what it means. It means a tiny little nick to the skin and that's all it is. You probably won't even feel it. The majority of people, well, actually in my opinion, every single person that I've spoke to that has had a first degree tear, obviously this is not based on research, this is just based This is just based on clients and things like that, but everyone that I know that I've spoken to that had a first degree tear did not realise that it had happened. A second degree tear affects the muscle, um, so it's the muscle of the perineum and the skin, so these usually require stitches, but not always. As with everything, it's completely your choice. If left, many of them are capable of healing without stitches, but that's something that only you can decide on. And obviously, in the moment, you can discuss it with your healthcare professional if you've got one. Um, But again, these usually heal really quickly. And in my experience, are also rarely painful. So I've actually had a second degree tear both times I've given birth. And I genuinely had no idea that either of them had happened until I got examined afterwards. So it didn't hurt when it happened and it didn't hurt afterwards either. The only reason that I knew that I had it is because I had an examination and got told that it had happened. I also opted to have it stitched up both times. 
the first time I didn't realise that I had a choice and in hindsight I don't think that I needed them. Um, the midwives were 100% sure if it was a first or a second degree tear so they stitched it just in case but the second time around it was a little bit deeper. We left it for like an hour and a half after birth but at this point it was still bleeding fresh blood and but again like it did not hurt it was it was minor but the fact that it was still bleeding led me to just accept the stitches. At that point I was just I was I gave birth at home I was ready for the midwives to leave and I was like yeah go on then we'll we might as well just get it stitched up so that that's one thing taken care of and then you can go home and again another easy healing journey and then after that you have your third and your fourth degree tears and I think this is what everyone assumes that we mean when we talk about tearing and that's why we're all so scared of tearing because we automatically just conjure up these images of third and fourth degree tears so third and fourth degree tears are deeper um, they're known as obstetric anal sphincter injuries and they extend into the muscle that controls the anus. So they're deeper tears and they do need repairing generally in an operating theatre. They usually require a spinal or an epidural. Actually, they always require a spinal or an epidural um, because they have to be repaired in the operating theatre. But they affect less than 4% of people giving birth. So they're incredibly rare. So you've got like a 96% chance of not having one of these tears. So... Again, I know that it probably sounds horrible, but it is unlikely that you will suffer a third or fourth degree tear. Some things that increase the risk of third or fourth degree tears are if you have an extremely large baby, um, so over £9.13 ounces, but even if your baby is this big, the risk is only increased by 2%, so it's still incredibly low. If you're induced, it's increased by 2%. If you have an epidural, increased by 2%. If your baby is born back to back, then increased up to 3%. If your second stage of labour is longer than an hour, increased up to 4%. And if there was difficulty delivering the baby's shoulders at birth, also known as shoulder dystocia, then you have your risk is increased by 4%. If you had an assisted birth by forceps or on tooth, the risk of this happening goes up to 7%. But obviously in those scenarios, you would generally be having an episiotomy anyway. Not always, but generally. Um, I'm not going to talk about episiotomies in this episode because I didn't want it to be too long or to bombard you with too much information, but I will talk about episiotomies in another episode further down the line. So thinking about it, all of those risk factors of having these tears are still minimal, even if you have all of these things, even if you have an epidural, even if you have a back-to-back baby, even if you have assisted delivery. The risk of having a third or fourth degree tear is still minimal and I just want to get that out there in the beginning that that it's not something to worry about it's not something to spend your time worrying about so that's the lowdown on the different types and as I said it's best to just reassure yourself that it is quite common to tear but it's really unlikely to be as bad as you had probably previously thought so I want to talk about the process of being stitched up and caring for tears and caring for stitches so remember first degree tears don't require stitches and second degree tears sometimes do sometimes don't it's your choice. Um, the skin around the vagina and perineum is incredibly resilient and it can heal itself generally really well when left alone. So have a think about what you're comfortable with and make informed decisions around whether or not you want to accept stitches. Maybe beforehand, maybe you go with what happens in the moment. Stitches for second degree tears are done using local anaesthetic, so that just numbs the area. So they'll do a small injection um, into your vagina. Again, I know this sounds really awful. I can just imagine people listening to this and cringing because it's such an unpleasant thought. But again, I can only speak from experience, but in my experience, the injection really isn't that bad. I can't speak for everybody, but it was just, it was a slight sharp scratch that was over as soon as I noticed the discomfort. And then it's numb. So you don't really feel the stitches being done anyway. 
the stitches can be done wherever you are. You don't need to transfer to a theatre or anything like that. So if you're at home, they'll just do the stitches there on your sofa um, or your bed or wherever you are, um, which is super handy to know because I think if you're planning a home birth, but then you've just heard me saying like, oh, nine out of 10 first-time parents are going to tear, you probably start panicking and thinking, well, does that mean that I have to transfer to hospital or something like that? But you know, as long as it's a first or second degree tear, which if you do tear, it's more likely to be, then you're fine. You could just stay at home and you could have the stitches done there. Same for midwife the unit, same for hospital births. The stitches are just done by your midwife in the room that you gave birth in. It's a really straightforward process. It only takes a few minutes and it's not usually painful because like I said, the area is numbed. For some people, it, it can be unpleasant um, if you can feel or hear the tugging. Um, again, <laughs> I'm really sorry for this mental imagery. Um, but yeah, if you can if you can feel or hear the sort of tugging almost, then it might feel unpleasant, but it, it shouldn't be painful. And like I said, in my experience, it wasn't. People I've supported generally say the same thing. I've supported people who have been stitched up um, and they've said the same. They've said that it wasn't the most fun thing they've ever been to, but they wouldn't describe it as being particularly awful. The stitches that they use are dissolvable, so they don't require any follow-up appointments and they usually dissolve within one to two weeks. Obviously, there are some things to look out for. You've got to keep them clean and look after tests, look after stitches, we'll talk about that in a minute, um, and look out for signs of infection. Those sorts of things would require follow-up appointments, but again, should be fairly easy to sort out. Looking after tears is a pretty self-explanatory topic, but I do have some handy tips for you. Again, take what resonates. You don't have to do all of these things. It's completely up to you. I'm just giving you this information. It's for you to do what you want with. Obviously, the area can feel a little bit sore after birth, whether you've torn or had stitches or not. So you do want to go easy on yourself, let your body, let your pelvic floor rest. You really want to keep the area clean. Obviously, when you go to toilet, that can make tears sting. So I have two top tips for this. You can either use a peri bottle or a spray bottle and spray water on the tear as you wee. That can really ease the discomfort. Or you might want to hold a warm compress or a flannel against the area just for the same reason and to just protect it. And then when you're done, just pat yourself dry to keep the area clean and comfortable. I know this is one of like the least glamorous topics we've discussed on the podcast so far, but I do think it's important. I do want to talk about it. I don't care about talking about disgusting things or things that other people don't particularly like talking about. I don't mind. I'll talk about them on my podcast. <laughs> um, you might have heard of, I think it's called Spritz for Bits by my expert midwife. I'm not like slagging off any particular brand. That's just the first one that came to mind. I'm sure there are other ones as well. You can buy these things if you want, but... I mean, I can't see what difference it would be using that than just using a spray bottle with some warm water in it. I can't see why it would make any difference. You definitely don't want to use anything with fragrance in it or perfume in it or anything like that. And so I would assume that using water is the best thing. But if you do want to buy any of these products, then go ahead and give them a try. But don't feel like you need to waste your money if you've got a spray bottle and some warm water at your disposal. Other things which can help tears and stitches are bringing warmth to the area to promote healing. So you may have heard of using um, padsicles. I'm doing, air, <laughs> I'm doing air quotes over the word padsicles, even though you can't see me. But padsicles used to be, and, and still are actually, recommended all the time for soothing tears. I think even on the NHS website, it still recommends doing this, using these things. But actually, I don't recommend using padsicles at all. So padsicles are pads, maternity pads that you put in the freezer. Um, sometimes people will recommend putting like aloe vera and things like that on them, putting them in the freezer and then taking them out to wear in your underwears. It can feel... It can feel quite soothing and will start to promote healing. But actually, we now know that this is counterintuitive to healing and it's more important to bring warmth to the area. 
So something you can do is to try and heat up your pads before popping them into your pants. Um, this is obviously a lot easier to do if you use reusable menstrual products, so like um, cloth sanitary pads. And as a side note, cloth sanitary pads are great for postpartum because if you're feeling sore after birth, they're just so much more comfortable. But I do get that they're not for everybody. I'm not trying to push this on you. I'm just letting you know that they are incredibly comfy compared to like plasticky, crunchy maternity pads. And yeah, they're a lot easier to warm up. If they're not for you, then use other things. So you could sit on a hot water bottle or a heated rice pack or something like that and it'll do exactly the same job. But yeah, I definitely promote bringing heat to the area rather than cold. But like all things, like all things, this is your choice. If you've used padsicles in the past or you just want to give them a try, then take this information and you do you. But bringing heat is definitely recommended to promote healing. You should also try any easily digestible food so that bowel movements are not too difficult and stay super, super, super hydrated. Um, this is obviously important in the immediate postpartum anyway, but you will thank me if you remember this when you pee after birth because it's a lot more pleasant if your wee is super diluted against a tear. Other things, the pelvic floor exercises can promote healing too as they strengthen the area and the muscle, which might be fusing back together. And if you're in pain at any point, then take painkillers. Take painkillers as needed. Paracetamol is safe to take immediately postpartum. So even if you're breastfeeding, you can take paracetamol. So you might want to have some of that on hand if you need it. You might have other things that you use as pain relief, different herbal remedies and things like that. So definitely make sure you've got things like that on hand for if you do need it. Um, one final thing that I recommend for healing up tears and stitches is Arnica. So Arnica is a herb. Um, it's used topically for um, for loads of things really, but it's used for like healing bruises, for muscle wounds, it decreases inflammation, it relieves pain, it relieves soreness, um, amongst loads of other things. So it's really great to take after birth in general. I always tell my clients about it and encourage people to pop it in their birth bag um, because you can take it straight after giving birth. So like I said, whether you've had a tear or not, it's probably a good idea to have some of this around. Um, I used the tablet, so I just took them both times after my birth and then kept them up for sort of the following few days. And I feel that they really helped with my general healing. I just thought they were worth a mention for that reason. I know a lot of other people that I've spoken to, a lot of different clients have used it and said the same. Um, I used, I think it was the Waleda ones, but you can get them really easily. I, I've seen them in boots. I've seen them in Superdrug. Um, they're not like some really weird, like, thing that you have to go find from some lady in the woods or something you can get them in the supermarkets but yeah they're called arnica and I, I really recommend taking arnica tablets or using like an arnica cream or something obviously you're not going to use the cream on a tear um, but you can use it if you've got aches and pains and things like that so now I'm going to talk about the bit that you've probably been waiting for um preventing tearing again I want to start off by saying I know I've said it loads of times that none of these things guarantee that you won't tear they're just suggestions of things that might minimize the risk of tearing based usually on really small scale studies doing these things should lessen your chances of having a third or fourth degree tear and um, so they may be worth doing but as with anything only do what feels comfortable, don't do anything that feels forced or feels uncomfortable or puts you in an awkward position or anything like that. Some people will practice every single one of these things I'm about to mention and will still end up with a small tear and other people will do absolutely none of these things and get out with as much of a scratch because there's just so many variables that we cannot control that can cause smaller tears. So the first thing is good birth preparation. Um, I know you're probably thinking of course you would say that because you're a birth preparation teacher and that's true but that does mean that 
I've seen firsthand how important it is and also research backs this up. So when we understand how birth works and we trust in our bodies, we're less likely to tear because we're not creating resistance or tension in our pelvic floor. We just let our bodies do its job. Um, also keeping our shoulders, jaws and throats relaxed helps massively too. So this area is directly linked to our pelvic floor and when we relax those muscles, we in turn relax our pelvic floor and a relaxed pelvic floor is much easier for a baby to descend through without doing any damage than a tensed up one. Something else we can do is birthing in water. Birthing in water has been proved to reduce the risk of tearing, so it's always worth a shot if this feels comfortable for you. Um, water is like a great non-pharmacological option of pain relief, which has loads and loads of benefits outside of those um, already mentioned here. So if you feel like you want to get into the water, then that's just another benefit of it, that it can help to prevent tearing. Following your body's lead and not birthing on your back. So I mentioned at the beginning how having an epidural increases the risk of having a third or fourth degree tear and that's likely down to the fact that with an epidural you would generally be laid on your back and again this may or may not prolong the second stage of labour it's likely to um, and all of these things are going are going to increase the risk of tearing so if you can follow your body's lead and get into positions which feel conducive to the labour that you are having then you're less likely to tear or at least tear badly a large-scale study found that when left to birth undisturbed, the most common position people gave birth in was on all fours, which completely makes sense when you learn about birth physiology. So give active birth positioning a try. Again, this is why birth preparation is so important because you'll learn about all of these topics in depth. If you do have an epidural, then trying to have either maybe like a mobile epidural where you can still move around a little bit or requesting the use of something like a peanut ball to create more space in your pelvic outlet would be your best bet because I know for some people an epidural is going to be necessary but if you want to have one and still reduce your chances then there are other things that you can do. The next couple of things are are a little bit hit and miss and um, a little bit they sort of divide opinion um, but I'm going to talk about them anyway. So the first is perineal massage. You've probably heard of this one. People are always asking me if they should be doing perineal massage and honestly it's up to you. There are pros and cons of doing it and I would always say if it's uncomfortable or you don't want to do it, then don't do it. Do not force it because that's going to be to your detriment. The biggest study I could find on perineal massage is from 2020 and it looked at all the studies that it could find um, from basically the beginning of the beginning of the time they started studying it up until that point and even with that it only looked at 3,467 patients. So it wasn't like the biggest study ever. 3,467, it says patients. So that's what it referred to people as, but I kind of take beef with that. I don't feel like people giving birth are patients, but for the sake of the fact that I'm quoting a study, I'll go along with it. So yeah, it concluded that women who received antenatal perineal massage had significantly lower incidence of episiotomies and perineal tears, particularly third or fourth degree tears. They had better wound healing and less perineal pain and antenatal perineal massage reduced the second stage of labour duration and anal incontinence with significant improvement in AGPA scores at one and five minutes. So this makes it sound amazing, doesn't it? <laughs> and obviously for some people it is. 
but for others it isn't and I'm not trying to be like a massive Debbie Downer I'm just trying to be realistic because I know people can get their hopes up that doing this massage will be like their saviour and they can feel really disheartened if they still tear but as I've said so many times tearing is normal but if you want to give perennial massage a go then give it a go by all means it's it's absolutely worth a try if you feel comfortable doing it and it's not causing you any sort of discomfort. There's a really good podcast episode um, by Evidence Based Beth all about perennial massage. So if you want more information and discussion on it, I'll leave a link to that along with the study that I just mentioned in the show notes below. Something else which again divides opinion is having a midwife or birth partner place a warm compress against your perineum. So a warm compress or a flannel or something like that against your perineum during crowning and the birth of your baby's head. This is generally referred to as a hands-on second stage of labour. And again, this works well for some, but not for others. The jury is still out, really, and the research is quite lacking. But I'll leave the most up-to-date research from the Cochrane Library, which is which has quantified all of the recent research um, into the show notes for you, so you can decide on it for yourself. I will just let you know what the research concluded, though, because it's quite interesting. So the research concluded, we found that massage and warm compresses may reduce serious perennial trauma, third and fourth degree tears. However, hands-off techniques may reduce the number of episiotomies. It was not clear that these techniques had a beneficial effect on other perennial trauma. There remains uncertainty around the value of, of these techniques to reduce damage to the perineum during childbirth. So like I said, the jury's kind of still out. Some people swear by it, some people absolutely can't think anything worse. Um, your midwife will likely offer it to you during labour, so it is worth having a think about if you would accept it or not. But again, you can change your mind at any point. You can change your mind in the moment. You might want to give it a try. If you don't like it, ask them to get off. It's completely up to you. Just to round off this little segment, I would say, in my opinion, the most important thing you can do to prevent tearing is, is to avoid coached pushing and avoid bearing down. Um, there's loads of chat about why we don't need to physically push in the episodes on the stages of labour and the breathing techniques episode so check out those if you haven't already but honestly just relaxing and trusting your body is going to give you the best chance of reducing serious tears um creating tension using coached pushing really bearing down really like gritting your teeth and screaming and doing all of these things that go against your body really do increase the chances of tearing so that's it. That is everything I wanted to say about tearing and stitches. Obviously, we didn't cover episiotomies today, as I'm going to chat about that in another episode. But I do hope that that was helpful and that you can utilise these tools and this knowledge during your pregnancy and birth. I know I keep saying it over and over again, but tearing is common. So please don't waste precious moments of your pregnancy stressing about it. Just tune into your body, trust your body and follow its lead. There's so much going on when we give birth and so many bodily sensations that tearing is rarely even felt when it happens. So really, you do not want to waste time worrying about something which may happen, but also may not. You've got this and you'll be absolutely fine. So thank you again for listening. If you did find this helpful, please do let me know. And if you have any more questions, then come hang out on Instagram where I'm at the Nungaree Doula. If you want to get started on your birth preparation, then I offer a birth prep and hypnobirthing masterclass for just £18.50, which you can download now and work through in your own time as it's pre-recorded. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes below. I also offer hypnobirthing doula and virtual doula services. Information on all of those can be found via my website, which is also linked in the show notes. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do stick around, like, follow and subscribe, or even leave me a little review if you don't mind. That is so very helpful for me and my little podcast. Speak soon. Bye.